0: listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Coming up on today's show, we'll hear two more stories from our ongoing reporting collaboration with the Solutions Journalism Network and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, highlighting affordable housing solutions across the Mountain West. First, a new program in Big Sky is paying landlords to rent to locals.
1: The idea is just to let our workers have a sense of security that they're not going to lose their housing, which happens all the time here.
0: Plus, a government weatherization effort is helping reduce energy bills in Crested Butte.
1: We have a serious resiliency gap, and that's what I'm trying to help with.
0: But first. Teton Science Schools made headlines last spring for a wave of resignations that saw more than a third of staff leave their jobs. We asked the new CEO how he plans to move forward.
2: Sean Kelly joined Mountain Academy of TSS in May. That was right around the time of a board-sponsored investigation into numerous allegations of a hostile work environment and a culture of gender bias within the organization. As of September, Kelly is also now Teton Science School's new CEO. KHOL's Kyle Mackey interviewed Kelly about taking the helm during what he describes as a perfect storm.
0: Sean Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today at KHOL.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I'd like to start by asking you to introduce yourself. Can you tell us about your educational background and what led you to Jackson and taking this position with Teton Science Schools?
3: Uh, interestingly enough, I did not like school as a student and— even up through college, I was not a big fan of school. I was actually bored most of the time and really frustrated and, frankly, skipped a lot of school. And at some point, somebody said to me, well, if you want to make a change, why don't you go into education? And so I did. I went to Harvard for graduate school, the ed school, and got my degree in teaching and learning. And since then, I've been working in – I worked for a year in a public school and the East Coast boarding schools. And I've held pretty much every job you can possibly imagine in, in schools from teacher coach to – dorm head to academic dean to director of development, and then head of school at at two different independent schools.
0: Okay. So it's been, you know, a tumultuous year in education across the board, but specifically at Teton Science Schools as well. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about joining the organization during what was a really difficult time for the organization. There was really this crisis in leadership and, and good faith among employees, I read in the news and guide that I think about one third of the school's employees left their jobs last year, including many in leadership. And there were allegations of toxic leadership and a culture of gender bias in the school. So you came in at a difficult moment. It was a challenging
3: time. <laughs> yes.
0: Why join Teton Science Schools at that time? You know why? Are, why are you the right person to come into this role?
3: So as a as a side note, which I I uh, I have to laugh at because it's only it's it's funny. That article in the newspaper came out my first day on the job, and and uh, the, the temporary housing I was in, uh, the neighbor's name was Steve, comes out, and he says, hey, who are you? And I tell him, and he says, oh, interesting article in the newspaper today. And I didn't know what he meant, and I went and read it, and he says, welcome to Jackson. So it was a, it was a funny introduction. But you know, for me, um, part of my career has been, a good portion of my career has been coming into organizations uh, departments that are struggling and those struggles are you know there's a huge spectrum of what those struggles have been but when I came out to interview I'll be honest when I was first looking at Mountain Academy and I heard about the struggles there was a bit of a wow that's that's a lot of challenges they're going through and what really convinced me is when I came on the interview when I came on campus and I got to meet the people associated with the organization for me that was the real con- part that, that sealed the deal. The parents I met were unbelievably welcoming and, and, and friendly. The students I call, it, they had a sparkly factor to them. They were just sparkly kids and really interesting. And granted, I didn't meet all the faculty, but the faculty that I did meet, I was unbelievably impressed with in terms of their commitment to education and to just be better. Not every industry, and that includes education are people particularly interested in doing better or, or improving their performance. And that's been the cornerstone of my career is always being trying to be reflective on on not only myself and the organization, but the organization as a whole. Um, and when I met all those folks, there was a sense of this organization is doing some really amazing things and it needs some help to, to get past this. What I was encouraged by is, uh, you know, the organization did bring in an outside investigator to come in and do a pretty thorough investigation. And I've read that investigation. And I'll be honest, I wasn't there, but the report that came out was pretty clear that it didn't find any evidence to support uh, gender bias in the organization. But it did find uh, that there was pretty challenging communications, systems for communication within the organization or the lack thereof of communication. And, and it's been my experience since I've been here for four months is that communication was one of the major drivers of a lot of the issues at, at TSS as an organization in terms of just information moving between the, the various programs, both up and down the organization. So that's something we've been really working on. And by no means do I think we're at, we we've fixed it completely, but really working at getting communication to, to, to be a, a priority. So I, I, I do see coming in it from the outside that the organization went through some, some, it was a thing. They really went through this thing but but then took it really seriously to to how do we move forward and make sure that this stuff doesn't happen again. So
0: I read in the news and guide that you started this position by giving everybody your cell phone number, staff, parents, whomever. Yep. How is that going?
3: Uh, <laughs> I only laugh because uh, the the day that email got, went out, I got a phone call at uh, ten thirty at night, and it was a parent, and he says, "Hey, you told us to call any time," and I say, "Well, I didn't." I didn't necessarily mean 10.30. What's going on? It must be an emergency. And it was an emergency. It was actually a – I wouldn't say it was a huge emergency, but it was an emergency in that it was going to have an impact on student life the next day. For me, that was a a sign of success. And uh, what I've also been really pleased, I can't tell you how many times I've heard in the past couple months, um, hey, I was going to send you an email, but I figured I'd just call. And, you know, the core relationship in schools – is a personal relationship between, you know, teachers, students, and parents. And what happened, I mean, last year was a a pretty perfect storm of the issues going on internally, COVID, and then the sort of transition to more uh, communication styles that were not face-to-face. And I've always worked in educational organizations where Trust is built upon this relationships, the relationships that are built at, from the various constituents. And relationships are, frankly, they're they're not built on Zoom. They're built in person over time. And part of my job is that, you know, I can't fix every problem at, this, at the organization, nor should I. There's a pretty robust group of people working at that place. But for families and, and faculty and staff to know that if something comes up, just call me. And I may not be the person to fix it. But I will. I will make sure the right people are involved in the conversation to fix it. So that's what schools need to be: is that personal relationship. And so that's been challenging. But on the other hand, it's if we don't have that, then the organization doesn't work.
0: Sean Kelly is the CEO of Teton Science Schools. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Cage Well.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: You can find an extended version of KHOL's interview with Kelly on our website, 891khol.org.
0: In the small resort community of Big Sky, Montana, 78% of workers commute from outside the area, according to U.S. Census data. KHOL's Will Walkie reports on a new program that's trying to reverse that trend by paying property owners to rent to locals.
2: Shannon Sears has lived in Big Sky for six years, and she's already moved five times. Sears is 33 and works for a title and escrow company, and she also sits on the local Chamber of Commerce. But ever since she moved to Montana from Texas, finding housing has been difficult.
4: At an age I thought was something I had already gotten past, I had to move in with multiple roommates just to be able to get a roof over my head.
2: Like in so many other Mountain West resort towns, the real estate market in Big Sky has skyrocketed during the pandemic. The median price of a single-family home is up more than 30% in the past year, and rents rose 65%, according to recent market reports. Sears lost her local housing earlier this year, so she found herself commuting over an hour each way, every day.
4: The canyon has snow and ice and, you know, it's dark in the wintertime. So to pass the time, you listen to podcasts, you wake up with your coffee and you think about your day on your way home, you know, the decompress. So it really wasn't too bad, except it pulls me away from my community. 39%
2: of Big Sky commuters say they want to live where they work, according to a 2018 housing survey. And often, vacation property owners want to provide that exact service but don't know how. Laura Fang is executive director of the Big Sky Community Housing Trust. She owned a vacation rental herself for several years.
1: And I had no idea how to rent to a local because I didn't know any local people. I only came out and visited two weeks a year, you know. And so I I started from that perspective when we came up with this program and said, what what are the things that get in the way of someone who owns a property out here from figuring out how to rent to a local?
2: C-Fang says platforms like Airbnb make it so easy for property owners to make money off their investment. So she set out to create a similar program, but for local renters.
1: We help them figure out what to price their unit for, Um, And we provide a lot of, we call it a la carte property management services, so that if a person just needs a little bit of help with their unit, we can give them that.
2: Inspired by a similar program in Lake Tahoe, C-Fang started Rent Local in early 2020. She thought just the management services and appealing to people's morals would be enough. But by this August, she had only gotten 14 takers.
1: For a lot of people, we just kept hearing the answer that they make too much money on the short-term rental market and that they, you know, everybody has a, a motivation to make sure they can pay their bills. And so that's when we thought, well, we need to come up with a way to sweeten the pot.
2: That's why starting in August, CFANG got several grants from local community foundations to help incentivize rental owners. Now, if you lease to a local worker for six months, the minimum to qualify for the program, the housing trust will give you 1500 bucks. For two years, it's 14500
1: The idea is just to let our workers have a sense of security that they're not going to lose their housing, which happens all the time
2: here. Since the incentive program started, seven new property owners have already signed up. Sears, the worker we met at the top, matched with one of those landlords and moved into her own condo on September 1st with her
4: cat. Oh, man, lucky doesn't even uh, cover how I actually feel. I, I am so thankful to be in this spot. It is close to my office. It's close to town.
2: Sears also says she's feeling the benefits from her new home in her work life.
4: My business is a relationship-focused business. So, you know, being here in Big Sky where my customers are, where my clients are, I can't even tell you how important that is for my colleagues, to see me around town as a local.
2: Still, the program's not perfect. Sefang admits it's been slow to get off the ground and takes a lot of convincing for property owners. And rent still might not be affordable for all workers. People who had already been renting to locals before August are also asking how they can get in on the action, or else they might switch to leasing to tourists. And then there's the risk of grant money running out. But C. Fang says the Big Sky community has to stay focused on increasing the housing supply for locals quickly through whatever means necessary.
1: We really all appreciate these beautiful mountain communities we live in, but we have to figure a way to work together to support them and create a place that can be inclusive of all income levels and all the people who we rely on.
2: In the meantime, help wanted signs are up in nearly every business in Big Sky, C-Fang says. And time is of the essence. Will Walkie, News.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, some people want to build our way out of America's affordable housing crisis. But there are other ways besides increasing supply to make existing homes more affordable. One government effort in Crested Butte, Colorado, might also have some positive climate benefits if it can get off the ground. Christopher Biddle of KBUT has the story.
5: Sometimes it's called home rehabilitation or an energy upgrade or a retrofit. We're going to call it weatherization. Details vary, but the basic idea is to use government money to pay for energy upgrades to homes. It's money well spent, according to the Biden administration. The president's infrastructure plan calls for $213 billion for weatherization efforts. That could be of use in the town of Crested Butte, Colorado, where a pandemic-boosted economic crisis has housing at its center. By the end of the summer, this tourist town had an estimated 15% of jobs go unfilled, and local officials fear the fall and winter could be worse.
3: It's a very tight rope for this community to function,
5: and we're missing it. Troy Russ is the Crested Butte Community Development Director. He breaks the cost of living into three categories, transportation, basic essentials, and housing.
3: And that would include the cost of energy towards housing.
5: And at 8,000 feet or more, Crested Butte and its surrounding communities can get cold in the winter, very cold.
3: What we're finding is the, the housing costs are simply dominating the budget, so there's no savings going on. There's very little insurance and it's really, it's skewing people's ability to live here.
5: That's a familiar story to Josh Schumacher. I'm not very good at budgeting. (laughs) Josh provides vital work to the community. He used to be a chairlift mechanic at the local ski resort. Now, I fix rich people's toilets. Okay. <laughs> Josh moved here in the 90s and says that recently more and more of his peers are being priced out while he's figured out ways to stick around. That includes owning a deed restricted home, and that made him eligible for the town's Green Deed Weatherization Program. Through Green Deed, Josh scored a new fridge and a fresh layer of insulation. As winter approaches, he's hoping the upgrades will provide some relief to an electric bill that's broken at $900 in the past.
1: I
3: mean, I'm kind of like a lot of people here. I, I live virtually paycheck to paycheck still.
1: We have a serious income gap. We have a serious resiliency gap, and that's what I'm trying to help with.
5: Giza Michael designed the Green Deed program and a similar countywide effort for income-qualified homes called Gunnison Valley Heat or GV Heat. Studies show that lower-income households usually put more of their money towards energy costs, which means they often get a better return on their upgrades. Last year, GV Heat saved an average of just over $460 per household. But savings are often seen as just a secondary benefit to weatherization. Crested Butte adopted its program originally as part of its Climate Action Plan. And the Biden administration says targeted weatherization efforts will offset racial and economic divides and boost quality of life for the poorest Americans. With all those benefits, you'd think the idea would have taken off already. But according to the Brookings Institute, only 2% of the nearly 40 million eligible American homes are actually weatherized every year. Biden's plan will most likely provide some boost, and then people like Giza Michael will still have to figure out how to spend the money, but she's probably already got a plan in place.
1: You can't only just throw funding at something, you also need to build capacity.
5: Hard as it is to hire in any American industry right now, weatherization programs across the country have struggled for years in another very cold place veteran nonprofit efficiency vermont turned from contracting to hiring and training its own workforce for projects in gunnison and crested butte where new construction dominates the attention of the workforce michael has to hire a team from the alamosa energy resource center some 4 hours away well,
1: the old insulation and this is the old insulation was this high
5: Josh Schumacher shows me around his upgrades. It's a Thursday, but he's all Friday vibes as he packs his truck for a camping trip. In the glow of the evening sun, it's obvious that Josh, fixer of rich people's toilets, enjoys a high quality of life. I've moved up the food chain as far as
3: where I'm at financially. Now I'm finally at I don't want to say comfortable, but I'm finally paying my bills with something left over so I can actually enjoy life.
5: For Josh, a government-sponsored weatherization program was just part of that puzzle and something that may soon be available to many more Americans trying to get by. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Christopher Biddle.
0: Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this week.
2: A body found on Teton Pass Tuesday fits the description of Robert Bob Lowry, a 46-year-old Houston man who had been missing since late August. No cause of death has been determined yet, and the man's official identity is pending an autopsy, but Lowry's family has been notified of the discovery. Teton County Search and Rescue led the search effort, and communications director for the Search and Rescue Foundation, Matt Hansen, says it was a difficult day for everyone involved with this case. You know, it's not the result that, that any anybody wants, but at the very least, the Search and Rescue team can provide at least some sort of closure to the family. About 25 volunteers and three dogs scoured the area, with the remains being found on a 45-degree, thick wooded slope that's difficult to get in and out of. Lowry's case had gone a bit cold in recent weeks, but Hansen says the Gabby Petito investigation, which made national headlines, actually shed light on other missing persons in Jackson, including Lowry. That prompted two people to call the sheriff's office with new clues over the weekend. The search for Gabby uh, helped elevate you know, and shed light on
5: these other cases, which is good for for different people who have
2: missing loved ones. Teton County Search and Rescue covered over 75 miles and at least 22,000 feet of elevation during the search and spent Tuesday afternoon recovering the body.
0: Members of the Jackson Town Council held their second informal Chat with Council Members event by Zoom Wednesday. The new monthly series is a chance for individual council members to talk with local residents, but the meetings are not officially part of the public record. Wednesday's virtual event was attended by Jackson Vice Mayor Arne Jorgensen and Councilmember Jessica Cell Chambers. The pair heard concerns on a wide range of issues from area locals, including Dave Meany and Mary Lynn Callahan. On
3: it. The first is related to the rodeo grounds. Um, hearing that there are um, some potential changes under consideration. So we'd love to get your point of view on that. Or different
1: stories? I have some friends who have businesses downtown who are having a lot of trouble with, um, you know, the new construction, specifically over by Center for the Arts there. And They're losing, you know, renters because of the noise and uh, parking because...
0: In regards to the rodeo grounds, Jorgensen says no decisions have been made and that it will be a long community decision to decide what the best use is for the land that the town currently leases to the rodeo and Teton County Fair. Those leases will be up in 2026, according to the vice mayor.
3: It is not an effort to not have a fair or not have a rodeo at all. Um, It is simply a recognition that this is a significant asset for the town of Jackson. And are there other uses, such as housing, that might go there if a suitable site could be found in the county?
0: Back to the construction question, Jorgensen says Jackson is behind on updating its regulations.
3: The current policies that we have in place are not adequate. Whether it's dealing with noise, hours of construction, seasons of construction, um, parking, We do have that on our radar in terms of looking at those policies and updating them.
0: The Chat with Council Members series is set to continue on the third or fourth Wednesday of each month.
2: The outlook remains grim for the Colorado River Basin. A new five-year forecast released last week by the Bureau of Reclamation shows already historic low levels in Lakes Powell and Mead and are on track to keep dropping. From KUNC in Greeley, Colorado, Alex Hager has the details. The forecast calls for critically low water levels in those reservoirs thanks to decades of drought and low runoff throughout the basin. At Lake Powell, the Bureau says water could get too low to generate hydropower as soon as July of next year, even earlier than past estimates. One reclamation official said the data was troubling and called for more collaborative work. This latest forecast provides a more dire but perhaps more accurate assessment of the river's future. Models now use more recent data that factors in the effects of climate change. I'm Alex Hager. A Wilson man was injured and admitted to the hospital last week after getting charged by a bull moose. The man was walking his dog on a bike path near Wilson Elementary School around 7.15 Friday morning when the moose charged, according to a Monday press release from the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. Public information specialist for Game & Fish Mark Goki, says there's no indication either the man or dog did anything to antagonize the moose, but that the incident is an unfortunate reminder to be extra cautious around both moose and elk this time of year.
3: This time of year is the you know mating season, and so the bulls have a lot of hormones going and you know, they can need a lot more space uh, than we normally would other times of year. They can be cantankerous and and, uh, aggressive at times.
2: While all wild animals can be unpredictable, Goki says reported injuries from moose are fortunately rare. He also says it's not a bad idea to carry bear spray, even if just walking your dog around town until the rut ends around late October.
0: That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. Subscribe now to Jackson Unpacked on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leaving a rating for the show in Apple Podcasts also really helps us spread the word and continue this work. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is K K-Joelle Jackson.